0: This is a download from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. Where's well, the try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. On the ball
1: on BFM eighty nine
0: point nine. Hello, it's on the ball. It's football. It's BFM, and today with me, Cam Raslan, your new host. We have uh, three of the finest pundits that money could well, and uh, they they represent, I think, the full diversity of middle-aged men and we have uh for instance to begin with i do not know his pronouns des corkhill
2: tell you what mate you've gone too radical too far now middle <laughs> aged i'm old <laughs> all
0: right the full diversity of old men, and uh we have well he's he's not an old man at all he is bob holmes
3: well, I thought you'd taken about twenty years off my life there uh, for a minute, uh, Cam. Uh-huh. But I'll enjoy it while it lasted. It was all of two seconds. Um, okay. But anyway, I just like to say that uh, the Premier League may not be working, but we are working, and I hope the listeners appreciate that. And we
0: have a man who. Well, I don't know if he. I don't know if he uh, calls himself middle-aged or not. I have no idea. Gogolin.
1: Hello, hello, hello! I call myself a lot of things these days.
0: Uh, But he won't admit to that one. Uh, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, today we have a uh, packed programme. Despite the fact that uh, very few uh, footballs have been kicked in anger around the world, but mostly in Africa, we're going to be talking about Everton. What's going on there? Watford, what's going on there? We're also going to be talking about the uh, the latest on the transfer market. We're going to also talk about the Africa Cup of Nations. We're going to be uh, asking about the World Cup every two years and uh, your weekly Malaysia football update. And if we have the chance, at the end, we're going to be taking listeners' questions. Ah. It's, it's been much anticipated by the, uh, the pundits. So let's begin. I guess we have to start with you, Des, because we're going to talk about Everton. And your family is, uh, well, red and blue. The, the simple question is, what's going on at Everton?
2: Uh, there is no easy answer. I think when Moshiri and his money came in and uh, talk of the, the new stadium came in and, uh, and some, some decent high-profile managers came in. You're, you're talking of uh, and uh, replacing Martinez. Uh, you're, you're, you're even talking of Rafa Benitez. You're, you're talking of Carlo Ancelotti. So, so there's been a very positive vibe about Goodison uh, for the last three years or so, or one of optimism, should I say. And yet none of it has worked. None of it has come to fruition. And he spent best part of half a billion dollars, Uh, uh And the team were worse off than they were. And Rafa Benitez, uh, when he left, um, spoke of, of immense amounts of confusion going on inside the football club. Decision making being very haphazard where there should be a chain of command. There isn't a chain of command. The much-wanted youth system, is, although it's developed one or two players, hasn't really worked. They've got transfer embargoes. And now they've got fans virtually deciding that they don't want Vito Pereira as their new coach and they want Frank Lampard as their coach. And it seems as though the board had made the decision that Vito Pereira, who would have been a controversial choice, but we don't know uh, and we, I doubt we'll ever find out uh, whether it looks like he's going to be overseen for, for Frank Lampard. Um, Wayne Rooney was, was talked about, but Lampard very much seems to be the, um, uh, the, the man with the, the, the big opportunity. And there's just no obvious reason why Frank Lampard would be an obvious successor to Rafa Benitez. Um, It's really strange what's going on at Everton. Everything seemed to be in place and it's just just falling away. And they tell you what, three quarters of a century of top-flight football... Is in danger if there weren't three even worse teams, uh, such as uh, Watford and Burnley, and we'll talk about them I'm sure throughout the group. But three, um, uh, 75 years of Premier League football, top flight football is in danger at Goodison Park because the place is imploding.
1: Uh, I, I want to say it's not only the fans who are going on about Vito Pereira, it was the media who was going getting on his back at his that press conference. You know, I read all the feedback from like the media and all. And why are they not even giving him a chance? And, you know, the Frank Lampard thing, a lot of the uh, Everton fans I spoke to are not very happy about the Frank Lampard uh, link. So it's the media that's getting on his back first, before that. And then now the fans have, you know, jumped on no, them. Well, back, no, I the,
2: med- the media responded to that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you saw the graffiti daubed, uh, no Vito Pereira, uh, Pereira out, Lampard in. And Rafa Benitez had the uh, graffiti daubed on. On his home, and uh, so I understand the reluctance with uh, Rafa Benitez, and, and when the team didn't win win uh, win games or when one in thirteen, it was always going to be difficult. But there seems to be no plan. They've gone through two directors of football, six coaches, um, or six six managers. Players in, players out, and uh, wow, it's it's really, really strange and unsettling.
0: Uh, Gogolin, can I just follow up with that one? Uh, so yeah, there was there was apparently graffiti saying Lampard in. I you know, so the whole thing has been de- determined by one guy with a spray can. Um, but you, I'm sure you have ideas. Who would you? I, he didn't exactly cover himself with glory in in, in Chelsea. Who do you think would, would be a good uh, candidate for manager?
1: Uh, like I said last week, for Wayne Rooney, I have no idea what it's everyone's waiting for. You know, he's the perfect. Uh story. I mean, it's perfectly set up for him. He will come there. He will be given time. He's a young manager. He's done very well at Derby. It's a pity what's happening at Derby. And I think it speaks volumes about his character that he wants to stay and take get Derby out of trouble. But it's a perfect fit right now for where, where Everton is and where Wayne Rooney is, is at as a manager.
3: I think it would be a perfect fit, perhaps in a couple of years' time, I still think he's a little bit wet behind the ears. He's done a great job at Derby, but it was an impossible task. And just by sticking there, he's he's proved his critics wrong, hasn't he? Uh,
1: he but Bob, Bob, just before that, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that Steven Gerrard or Derby, uh, Wayne Rooney has cut their teeth more?
3: Steven Gerrard? Definitely. Really think, do you
1: think, really think the Rangers' job is oh, a, Rangers, a, Rangers are than a big,
3: Derby? Rangers are a big club. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that. You look at the Scottish table and you see the Rangers and Celtic playing in the Europa Conference and all that. And you tend to think that these are small operations. They are not. Rangers have got fans all over the world. They are a great historic club. And their job, you ask any manager of Rangers or Celtic, whether that's a big job or not, it's a massive job. It's probably bigger than half the, the Premier League jobs because you're under such intense scrutiny.
1: I it, mean is, that, it is a big job. I agree. It's a bigger yeah. job than job. He,
3: he was successful at Rangers. He ended Celtic's um, run of nine titles in a row. Um, I don't think there's any comparison. I think Frank Lampard has done more than Rooney, to be honest with you. He, he had a successful year at Derby. He got them into the playoffs. He didn't get them to the final, but he got them into the playoffs. And he didn't do too badly at Chelsea uh, for a season and a half. And he was, I think, a little bit harshly sacked, OK, he didn't do great, but I think if it was anyone other than Roman Abramovich, they probably would have given him a bit longer in the job. So I don't think Frank Lampard has done too badly, but it's a so-so appointment. He's got no connection with Everton whatsoever, and it's kind of strange to see so many scousers suddenly being in favour of this this Londoner. (laughs) I mean, if it was Man City, for example, there'd be more sense to it because he actually played for Man City, although a lot of people forget that. He did. And he played for New York City as well. So he was part of that City football group setup. But um, nothing whatsoever uh, in in common with Everton. Um, It's just that he's a bigger name and everybody's heard of him, of course. No one had heard of Vitor Pereira, despite it, it, him.
2: Which says a lot about us because he's, he's won titles all over the world. He's won in Portugal, he's won in China. He's, 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 a, he's, he's a renowned coach wherever he's gone. And it, 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 it looks at the... Um, uh, what, what's the word I'm after? The inward-looking way of, of the English press and, and the English mm. public. You look remember Celtic when they um, put Ange Postacoglu in charge of them, aren't a- you? What's he ever done? So it's very inward thinking, is, is English football, as um, Chevy Singh actually was very, very fond of saying,
0: uh, yeah. But but but, but also, once upon a time, no one had heard of Arsene Wenger, um, and and he he did good things. But I I, I we're going to move on though, but I just want to say that there must surely be some German out there. There's got to be a spare German,
2: well, it, there's got to be a <laughs> coach. This is the thing. So wh- neither Wayne Rooney or Frank Lampard are coaches, they're man managers. Everton need a coach. Everton needs somebody to make the group of players they've got there better. Not, not just select and inspire, but he's got to make them better. And um, that's why I, 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 oh, I, a Pereira would have been a good idea. But um, it's tell you what, they're in trouble, Everton. They are in trouble. Yeah. Because who's going to go now?
0: Well, here's another club in trouble. Uh, Watford. Watford have just uh, appointed Roy Hodgson as the new manager. Young, He's a young man. I think he'd fit well on this panel. Uh, <laughs> um, I, f- I find it kind of incredible. He, Roy Hodgson's not famous for being a, a coach who keeps relega- in relegation battles or who can take clubs up a league. Um, Goglin, I want to ask you. Apparently, this, here's a stat that I, I heard. I haven't been able to verify. Apparently, Watford have not been able to keep a clean sheet for six managers. The last time they kept a clean sheet was six managers ago.
1: Oh, is it? Oh,
0: yeah. what well, an incredible stat. What 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 do you think would be a, a solution for Watford's situation now?
1: No, I not if I if I knew that, mate, I wouldn't be sitting here on this show right now, I'll be in, in London.
0: <laughs> but positive, <laughs> yeah, an idea. I, I
1: I really I really didn't I'd expect the Ranieri second so fast. I mean Watford I know are synonymous for pulling the trigger. But this was, you know, the Ranieri were, Again, I, do, I really don't understand what is a game plan if they're just going to the chop and change managers that fast. I and mean, if your stat is as true as it is says, I re- again, it be, I'm bewildering. They pull out uh, good performances and then they just go on a slide and then they start sacking their manager and then they appoint another manager, pull out a couple of more performances and then go on another slide again, and it's rinse and repeat.
3: Yeah, they can't keep doing it. Although uh, Roy Hodgson, you'll be interested to know, is fifth favorite to be the next manager, to be sacked.
0: <laughs> he hasn't even signed the contract yet, has he? <laughs> I
1: think it's not even dry. Right.
3: <laughs> no, really, I mean, really.
0: Des, <laughs> can you see any sense? Uh, well, I mean, who else is there, apart from Hodgson?
2: Uh, so, so, yes, I, I do. I, I don't like the way Roy Hodgson sets up teams, but the one thing he will do is he will make uh, Watford organised uh, because the th- big thing we've seen with Watford... Um, I, I, I'm surprised that they that they've lost as many games. But then you look at uh, Ranieri again. Ranieri isn't a coach. Ranieri is a motivator, and that's what I, I say about Everton. If you have coaches, a bit like Sean Dyche, he's a coach. He coaches his teams to to not lose games of football. And that's what Watford have got to do down at the bottom, not lose games of football, get one or two more clean sheets, become boring, become the antithesis of what the uh, Premier League should be all about and what, what I keep on saying, entertainment is true. But if I'm Watford uh, the, um, down at the bottom, then I, I think that Roy Hodgson will bring some, uh, it'll be a rigid four-four-two. Almost, almost certain, rigid four four two, two banks of four. Try and uh, uh, use um, a, a little bit of pace on the on the break and get some clean sheets behind them and work their way up the table. I see it absolutely happening, and then him getting sacked at the end of the year once he's done the job. But he's going to be paid a lot of money if he keeps Watford in the Premier Division. So for Roy Hodgson, it makes sense as well. I think it's seven million pounds. I I read him in, in one in one um, article to to keep Watford in the Premier Division. So to me, it makes perfect sense. But it's 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 bad for football that um, uh, such boring people are continually brought back into the game.
0: Well, I mean, Des Cowcill obviously wants every single team to be Liverpool,
2: uh, no, and I want them to try and win football matches. That's what I want. That's what um, I've always said.
0: Yeah well that's uh, uh, I never thought I'd start a show with uh, talk about Everton and Watford but that's the kind of thing we do here on the ball uh, and we make shake it shake it up a bit We'll shake it up a bit yeah. so I'm uh, going to shake it up a bit a bit more in a moment when we uh, come back and we're looking at the transfer market here on on the ball BFm 89.9 deserved a goal that lovely return pass just wide
2: on the ball on BFM 89.9.
0: And we're back on On The Ball. And now we're looking at the transfer market. Some biggish names being uh, talked about. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to list a whole bunch of names. And I'm going to ask the, the, the pundits to uh, pick out some that they think would be of interest. But, Goglin, I really want to start with you. because I think For me, the biggest name is Anthony Martial from Manchester United to Sevilla. And I actually think that he's a good player. I think he's hard done by by the United fans. Do you think, well, it's about time, surely, that he went on to pass his new...
1: Well, I'm just going to supersede that with to say that Callum Chambers uh, signing by Villa was the big news this morning. Uh-huh. Well, obviously, I'm sorry. Good <laughs> signing
2: up. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting.
1: I, I, under the radar. That one. But we'll come back to that because we've got a lot of time on the show. But Anthony Martial, yes, and he uh, I, I finally got his move. It's a lone move to Sevilla. i really not seeing where, how he's fitting with a Sevilla move. He just wanted to get out of United. He could see that. If any team had come in with him and we'd have come with uh, terms that are preferable to United to accept, they would have gone. So, you could see where the friction was lying when a player like Tony Martial doesn't want to play for Radnick or for the squad. There's a deep underlying stories there, which I think the boys on Monday were there because I really miss me having a United fan on this show nowadays to bounce uh stories <laughs> off. But uh, yeah, that, it, it's it's a good move for Martial, though, if you're asking me. Well, t- tell us about the the, the Villa move. Uh, so, that, again, like what Des said, it's a it's a really good signing, that one. We went under the radar, really need to know about it. But what I'm worried about is that if the Callum Chambers is going to Arsenal, and it was really a hush-hush move, hush I think Douglas Lewis is going the other way.
3: Hmm.
1: That would hurt. That would that, hurt. would, that would, because I've I've heard of stories about that, and the Chambers name came up in relation to a Trot swap move and all that. So let's see; it's a it's going to be an interesting couple of hours, a couple of days.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Bob, I'm going to I'm going to turn to you, and I'm going to give you. Uh let's say three names and i want you to pick the one which you think is the interesting one uh and i don't even know how to pronounce some of these mario grimarez from leon to newcastle these are possi- bruno, possible bruno,
2: bruno my apologies bruno I, I, I uh,
0: bruno. bruno. okay I, I still don't know who he is and uh, julian alvarez oh this is this is has been being talked about quite a bit from river plate to man city And, well, Jesse Lingard is still – there still seems to be talk. I thought it had been quashed talk of him moving from United to Newcastle.
3: Well, I think Lingard is the most interesting story out of those three um, because of the uh, circumstances of the deal, the wrangle that is going on. Um, I mean it's only a loan deal, but United want a fee of 10 – Uh, to £12 million for him. He's only going to be there for four months then he'll revert back to uh, Manchester United and uh, they want Newcastle to pay his wages as well it means that Newcastle are expected to stump up £16.5 million for a player that they'll have for just four months now they want this bonus money, this is bonus money if he keeps them up, because they obviously, I mean, we've spoken of it being worth a hundred million, but I just think that Lingard who joined the, the club when he was in short trousers, he's been there for 21 years. I think he just deserves a little bit more respect. I mean, there was a day when players, long serving players used to get testimonial matches when they took all the gate money. Now here we have a situation where Linkard, okay, he's not, he's not a testimonial age, but he has been there 21 years and he's, he's served them through thick and thin. He's not a bad player. He's a full England international. And he was outstanding when he went to West Ham, um, uh, recently, uh, Surely they can just let the guy go and get some first-team football. And then he might come back and and start playing well again for United next season. So I cannot, for the life of me, understand why United are essentially blocking this move for one of their players to get some much-needed game time. I think it's outrageous. And it's a typical Ed Woodward-type move. I mean, I know he's leaving But this is the kind of pernickety, penny-pinching manoeuvre that actually denigrates the name of Manchester United. I think it's outrageous.
0: Oh, strong words there. From a man who remembers things called testimonials. Any, anyone else remember oh,
1: those? Do they still have testimonials?
0: There, there's been no one stays at a club long enough now to, to do a <laughs>
1: testimonials. How, how long do you need to stay at a club to get a testimonial? Actually,
0: well, I guess more than well, three seasons.
1: Now.
2: There's no actual rule, but it used to be ten years. But that was in the days when there was some kind of a financial uh, insanity. The other side of things, you just mentioned twelve million there for Jesse Lingard. Twelve million would save Derby County. That's mm-hmm. how insane. Yeah. Exactly. That's how insane it is. So one player, they're asking twelve million for a six month loan or lose a club. That's the that's a massive imbalance. Now I'm sure you've heard me talk about this for the last decade. That's the massive imbalance in in um, in English football and, and world football. And it's crazy. It is yeah, But
0: in this case, you know, willing willing, oh. willing willing buyer, willing seller. If you're selling to the kingdom of South Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, you're gonna set a pretty high fee. Uh, so I I want to ask you, Des, um, A couple of uh, names which uh, I think are quite interesting. Uh, Incredibly, Obama Young, Obama Young. I think he's the most expensive player at uh, Arsenal. He's a possibility for a loan somewhere. And Aaron Ramsey on will be a loan from Wales to Burnley. I mean, sorry, from Juventus to Burnley. Um, And uh, who else? I mean, any others catch your eye?
2: Well, it, it's it's uh, the Obama Young one is is an interesting one, and um, it's so so. Just to actually build on what I was just saying before, he gets paid three hundred and fifty thousand pounds per week. That's over what is that in in, um, in ringgit? That's 1.6 uh, 6 million ringgit per week. Mm. It is obscene just to sit on the bench. Now it's not his fault because um, they, they reckon they reckon he's worth it, but Mikel Arteta says he's not worth it, and so. Uh, and, and on that money, he disrupts the Arsenal uh, wage structures, as you'd hope he would, actually. Um, but he's not been performing for Arsenal. He's, 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 um, for, in some way, he's upset Mikel Arteta. Mikel Arteta has got to be the boss. The boss has got to be the boss. When the players become the boss, that's when you find that there the are problems. And so a loan move somewhere would be interesting. The problem for Arsenal... Is no one will pay 350,000 pounds a week from Obama Yank, so he's likely just to stay where he is, not play any football, and more, more, more money just bleeds out of the game. Um, it's, like, it's, it's it's the insanity of that. He's on so much money, he can't be moved on. That's the crazy thing.
1: Uh, Gogolin, you want to add? No, oh, it reminds me of uh, the Winston Bogart story in Chelsea, yeah. right? Yeah.
3: Yes, oh. getting that way. It's also also worth mentioning that uh, Obama Yang is from Gabon. Uh, Three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week would probably feed uh, half the population of Gabon.
0: Well, man, and maybe I he mean, does. You know, maybe he, maybe he does. Uh, well,
2: you know, some of these,
3: these some of these players do. I mean, yeah, Sa- I mean Sadio Mane does. Uh, yeah. D- uh, Didier Drogba famously did in Ivory Coast. There are one or two who do that. Mo Salah does, <clears throat> excuse me, in Egypt. Um, I'm not sure about Obama Young, to be mm. fair, but mm. I know he's not playing for Gabon in the um, African nations either.
1: He got uh, sent back, right, because of a heart problem?
3: Uh, mm. Yeah, he had COVID and then he had some heart trouble after, after COVID, didn't he? So he's not playing for anybody, but he's still
2: collecting his 350 grand a week.
0: Yeah, well, you know, good for him. I wouldn't mind that. Right. You need
3: to go, yeah,
0: exactly. yeah, <laughs> to Once
2: Harry. again, Cap, you're, you're, you're the last one I expect to be in support of that. It just shows the absolute insanity of what's going on at the top flight and the inequalities uh, throughout football. You don't, you understand if there's a little difference, but not that monstrous difference, not that 12 million for Lingard that could save Derby, who are former champions in the league below them. That's, that's the insanity of it, and that's the uh, immorality of it. And it's got to be called out by more people than me.
0: Yeah, but then there was immorality involved, as Bob told us last week, in the Derby County situation um, with the financial mis- misdealings there. Goglin, uh, I'm going to come to you and to, to wrap up our um, transfer talk, I'm going to give you three names. Christian Erickson, uh who you mentioned heart problems just now. Christian Erickson possibly to Brentford. The The big one, perhaps, who... Would help a lot of people out would be uh, Vlahovic, uh, the striker, and uh, and I I do want to ask again, Aaron Ramsey, any of uh, those?
1: Well, uh, the, the Vlahovic to now he's going to Juventus, right? They, Looks like yeah, because Arsenal were trying to pinch him, and he was like an ongoing stronger from Fiorentina. But uh, he's the one bit on the radar for a lot of clubs, actually. And I'm surprised that the Arsenal were actually in it for him. And now it looks like he's, I think he's just going across the pond to uh, Juve, Juve, which is a good movie, if you ask me, if, because I think he would have taken some time to find his way at Arsenal right now. And it, like you said with the Alba story and all that. And I was just talking to an Arsenal friend the other time. And, you know, Arsenal's perennial problem is they always have a good attack and a poor defense, right? And now they have a good defense and they have no attack. So. Yeah, but uh, back to Aaron Ramsey. I, I really don't know what to say about Aaron Ramsey's story anymore. And the first one, what is the other? Christian uh, Eriksen, the Brentford mm. deal, right? I thought they they signed him already, right?
2: Yeah, it, it's almost certain about Eriksen coming back. With, with, is he what Brentford needs? I'm I'm really not sure. Because... I think it's
1: more, yeah, I think it's more of a PR move because I was speaking to a cardiologist the other day, and they said the thing that that's fitted with uh, Eriksen has is that that no matter what happens now, he will never have uh, the same thing again because this will prevent that. He would never have it again. Yeah, he, because it, it was a short circuit in his uh, for his heart to stop. Yeah. And this prevents it. So it, when it, this happens, it just rest- it, If it happens again, it, it will. This thing bypasses it and starts heart up.
0: Mm, okay, because I think any team could benefit from having Christian Eriksen. It's a magnificent player.
1: I'm sure still he's, he's still available at a certain uh, level. You know, you're right. Brentford uh, are in a different position right now and need more direct players. But they are the only ones who have come up and stepped up. It's a good PR move, it's good optics, and you never know what's going to happen, right?
3: Yeah, yeah a just, lot of uh, Danish solidarity there, isn't there? Yeah, Big yeah. Danish influence. Mm. Uh, the owner owns a Danish club, Midgieland. Yeah. We um,
0: as well, yeah. Card, yeah. And all he has to do, stand in the centre circle and just sort of spray passes around and look great like that.
2: The way they play, I'd worry about his heart again where they defend yeah
1: exactly
0: (laughs) yeah yeah
2: well uh, we're going to move on though and we're going to
1: go
0: to another part of the world we're going to go to the Africa Cup of Nations here on On The Ball on BFM 89.9
3: what about that clearance off the line how important did that turn out to be in the end
2: On The Ball on BFM 89.9
0: and we're back with myself, Cam Russell, Bob Holmes, Gogolin, and Des Corkill, and now we uh, shed our knowledge onto the Africa Cup of Nations that is happening at the moment. The uh, group stages are over, and it's now knockout. And there are some stories there: some good, some not so good, some very bad, in fact. So, uh, in uh, an amazing uh, setup, was uh, Cameroon, the host nation, mighty Cameroon, playing Comoros, the fourth smallest nation in Africa. But I'm very sadly. Uh, there was a crush outside, and I think eight people died. But uh, they, Comoros managed to, well, they didn't win, but they, they didn't have a goalkeeper, so they had an outfield player there. Um, Des, do you know more about the match?
2: Well, the, the, the first thing is the tragedy. Uh, you, you, you don't go to a football match anywhere in the world and um, not talk about eight people being crushed to death. We don't know uh, how it happened, but there was a crush outside. And eight people lost their lives going to support uh, their, their team in, in a game of football, which is just just um, a tragedy. And that that should surely be uh, the, the forever memory of this African Cup of Nations. Um, you hope to celebrate the football, uh, but that's the worst thing. But sadly for the African Cup of Nations, this isn't the first time. Uh, in 2010, there was a terrorist attack um, by on the Togo national team by Angolo terrorists. Um, Ghana players are being attacked by Equatorial fans in, in, in other competitions as well so this is not just a one-off um there, w- there was there's been some discussion that um there was a warning to Cameroon before this competition that they that they, they weren't ready to um to, to, to host the African cover nations but Leto is such a big name and they they wanted some good news coming out of, of Africa that uh, they decided to push ahead with it um COVID, despite all that there's been some interesting football discussions, but clearly they weren't ready, Cameroon, because eight people have lost their lives. The game itself was, was quite incredible because Comros had an outfield player in goal because they were so affected by COVID. So the outfield player played in goal and made a couple of fantastic saves. But Comros had a, a man sent off as well, went 2-0 down and then scored arguably the goal of the tournament, a 40-yard free kick uh, to get themselves back in the game and nearly got an equaliser when the keeper made a, a save at the near post. But all that is absolutely academic. Because eight
0: people lost their lives going to watch a game of football. Yes. Uh, Guglund, this is a, a competition that's... Uh, I, I, I do feel it's been growing in stature and name recognition. Uh, Des pointed out last last time that it's purely because of its connection to the Premier League. Many players play there. But for a competition that is uh, trying to get into the first rank um, of, of competitions, do you think that the, the these kind of PR... Uh, issues are, are a problem?
1: Uh, I mean, of course, these are things are being played up by the global media also, you know, and they, you know, they're being picked up in the, the referees, refereeing and all that. Even Craig uh, put it up on his stories, you know, that this is why AFCON gets a bad name because, you know, referees who blow for a time, you know, then debacle the other day and then you have the, now you have the crush and all these things. It gives you really bad publicity for the AFCON tournament, which is, you know, it's not a, it, it is a world class tournament it is it is the number one tournament of that continent it's, it's the euros of that co- that of that continent you know it's in the same stature but you know it's the copa it's the same way but it's not being played up in the way we don't even get the live feeds of it and uh, we, i personally uh, interact with it through the, my players at uh, galaxy who are all from the continent right from nigeria egypt senegal and all that and so i get a first hand uh, idea of what's happening to these boys but I and I and, and the passion they talk about it tells me how much it means to them, you know. So, you know, it's, it is a first rank tournament. It is, it is always a first rank tournament, it's just that it's not being marketed as a first rank tournament.
0: Bob, let's talk some of the football then. Has any of the football caught your attention, bearing in mind that it's very difficult to watch the football? <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> well,
3: I should say, I've heard that it's very good, uh, outstanding, in fact. Uh, not surprising when you see some of the names there. I mean, there really are some top names playing in it, as uh, Liverpool fans will uh, very quickly tell you. At least one of them now is on his way home, or he should be back by now. Uh, Naby Keita, because um, uh, Guinea got uh, got knocked out. Uh, But uh, unfortunately for Liverpool, uh, Sadio Mane and Mo Salah are still involved. Uh, Mane, of course, um, I think everyone knows that... uh, he scored a goal when he shouldn't have been on the field. He was concussed while he scored it. and He came off afterwards. Um, and he could be out. He could miss or should miss the next game, the quarterfinal. But um, you wouldn't put your house on him uh, doing that. Um, he, he'll probably play and, you know, may go all the way. Uh, because Senegal are, are one of the favourites. One of the strongest sides there so um yeah it's an unfortunate um situation in that uh, we can't see this good football being played we need to see it for us to or for the skeptics to overcome their doubts about this tournament all we hear about are these headline making incidents. Okay, you can't make light of eight people dying. And then you've got the referee blowing early. You've got um, all sort of 15 yellow cards in one game. I mean, this sort of thing grabs attention, even of people who are not football fans. It's the kind of quirky thing they put on the front pages, not just on the back page, just to sort of reinforce their natural prejudices, certain right-wing newspapers in the UK have done that. And the only way to really offset this is to show the football that's being played. And I think this is what they've got to work on. They will forever be blighted by these incidents until they can get the marketing done and get these games shown on global TV. And then we can, they'll shut people up by the skill And the excitement on offer. And you know that in Africa, it's unusual. Uh, It's probably the only continent where neutrals watch all the games. And when Cameroon, reporters have said that when Cameroon are not playing, the streets are just about as quiet as they are when Cameroon are playing. They're watching other countries play. I mean, they're that keen on football. It means a lot to Africans. Football means a great deal because in many places they don't have much else. And so the, the tournament, it's a it's a wonderful tournament, but it's blighted by these, these incidents that they can't seem to get over. Hmm. But the actual quality, I mean, <laughs> the, all the Premier League clubs, all the major leagues in the world will have scouts there trying so. to snap up the next uh, Mo Salah or the next Sadio Mane. Um, you can guarantee that. And they probably will unearth some talented players. I mean, the Comoros Com- uh, Islands, we mentioned them last week. The most remote place, ranked 150-something in the world. That's that's remarkable. I mean, for a population of less than 1 million people to be ranked above Malaysia, I believe. Um, you know, and a few other countries, Cape Verde Islands, although they didn't do so well in this tournament, are ranked alongside China. Cape Verde Islands with only about three million people, I think. Alongside China, with well over a billion. This is what we're talking about, but we don't see it so Mm. You know, this situation will... But the
2: international continue. feed is available, Bob. That's a commercial decision by commercial organisations to, to, to decide not to buy the rights. Uh, that's And so that's that's um, that, that's got to say something as well. Even with all the big names there, all the Premier League names there, and we're talking about it, but uh, the broadcasters, even Astro, who, who buy just about everything, they decided it wasn't worth putting their hands in their pocket.
0: Yeah, well, I suspect it's going to going to change that. But I want to move on uh, though to a neat segue. Talking of uh, tournaments that happen every two years, how about a World Cup every two years? Now, Arsene Wenger um, has been talking about this quite a lot. I think he's probably uh, quite well paid by FIFA to um, to come up with ideas, and this was his big idea: a World Cup every two years. I'm going to play devil's advocate insofar as I'm going to support the idea for one moment. Um, Maradona, a great player like Maradona, had four World Cups. And two and a half, three of which he was really at his peak. He could have had eight World Cups. I mean, wouldn't the world be a better place by being dazzled by Maradona for eight World Cups? Gogolin.
1: I, I completely agree with you. You know, a World Cup is a one every four years you wait for it. Your kids wait for it. You take your kids to the World Cup kind of thing and all that. Every two years, it just becomes another golf tournament, if you ask me, mate. Right? You know, but then what do I know? I don't get paid as much as Arsene Wenger. You'd probably there is a reason why he's going about that. But you know, if, you, if I was tested, on, it's all about money nowadays, right? The way the football world has turned since the days of Maradona, to bring back Diego's name, is a, it's, a, it's a farce.
3: Yeah, worth mentioning Arsene Wenger, one of the biggest opponents of international football <laughs> exactly, when he was yeah. manager of Arsenal. He's done a complete about-turn. But to be fair... He has come up with a formula to try to fix the the calendar and end the hated, I think I'm not using too strong a word, international breaks. That Every time you get a bit of momentum going in your domestic league, you suddenly stop and have an infernal international break. So that is some. That is a positive. And he's come up with a formula whereby, I don't know quite how you work this out, but by having the World Cup more often, you get less international breaks. But you obviously cram the, the, the um, qualifiers into, uh, into blocks. Um, that's, that's how he, he does it. And that does have something going for it. I will say that. But I agree that having it uh, every two years will lessen the impact I think we've got to keep it special. And I don't think dazzle dazzle would have been the word you'd use, Cam, to describe Maradona if he'd played in uh, eight or nine World Cups and been kicked to kingdom come in uh, most of them. I don't think he would be playing in the eighth or the ninth, quite frankly.
0: Uh, Des, I don't know if you're conflicted about international football. Um, I kind of feel like Liverpool Liverpool fans have uh, certain feelings about club and country. but uh, but
2: very ambivalent, very ambivalent. Uh, It's it's Liverpool first, but this is about money. I've mentioned money already. Um, The the, the only real opponents to two World Cups in terms of um, football association, member associations around the world, the only opponents are UEFA. Uh, CONCACAF for it. Uh, um, Combinable for it. No, Africa. Concacaf is for not. It. Okay, Concacaf on South the fence. South America is against it. On the, on the fence. On the fence. You wait and you wait and see. Um, but Brazil are against it. But uh, uh, Uruguay possibly for it. And the reason is because the the top clubs, the top nations, have taken such a big slice of the pie, of the money pie, that everybody else is just pushed into the wasteland. What this does. It's an opportunity to equalize the distribution of the money pie. Now, how well that money is spent is another argument altogether. But what it is, it's a redistribution. However you think politically that that is, uh, but the uh, UEFA and, the, and the, the top nations and the top leagues, they're not going to do it. And so FIFA have tried to step in to, to, just to try and equalize things financially by getting more people, uh, more, more access. I've just mentioned the African Cup of Nations, not televised. Two FIFA World Cups would be televised. You would be seeing Mali. Occasionally, occasionally, Malaysia, because it will go to a um, uh, 48-team competition, Malaysia might have a realistic chance of making it to the final stages of the World Cup. And you just see the ratings and you just see the money out of Malaysia if and when that happens. And you see the ratings and you see the money when Tunisia get an opportunity to play in the in, in the latter stages or, or or an African team genuinely has a chance. You wait until you, you see the ratings. And, and that's what this is all about. It's just trying to equalize the mon- monstrous inequality of finance in world football.
3: It's still only be 48 teams in the uh, finals and they're going to be 48 in the next um... Not the, uh, next not
1: the next World one. Cup, the, one, the after. one after.
3: the one after. I mean, it's the number of teams that are actually in the finals that gives Malaysia a chance. It's not where it's being played, is it? Um, I mean, that, let's get and, that straight. And, and the frequency of the competition. Well, the frequency of the competition, but they've still got to improve. They've still
2: got to qualify, haven't they? But this gives them an incentive, and the fact that the money will be distributed from two World Cups down to member associations Gives more money to the football associations. Now, whether or not they use that money wisely is another discussion completely. But that's but, what the argument is. That's yeah, what the, but, this is—a redistribution of wealth.
0: Can I can I finish this with uh, Goglan? Uh, when when Des kind of said, you know, Malaysia in the World Cup, I got to say I was kind of I was kind of emotionally overwhelmed there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you know, forty-eight teams—the the very, the very first World Cup back in nineteen sixty-six. Was um sixteen <laughs> was sixteen teams, uh, now forty eight teams. I mean, do you think that uh, creating more and more openings so that uh, Malaysia could get in is is that worth it?
1: Well, in in what context? What did what? I mean, I, I would always say my life dream was to watch a World Cup game, which I did, and then I went on to watch World Cup final, which I did. And then I guess in terms of context, I would like to see Malaysia in a World Cup uh, game. Yes, of course. But at what expense? You know, if it's going to be like a 200-team tournament in one point, you know, and you're at a World Cup. Yeah, you're in a World Cup, but, you know, a World Cup with 200 teams. So I, w- I would have preferred it better when there were 32 teams and Malaysia qualified. But I know Malaysia will never qualify in that day. But yes, uh, is it was a 48 team. Right now, it's going to be at a 48. What's going to stop it from, you know, multiplying?
0: Yeah.
3: Well, ironically, the having forty eight teams makes it even more exclusive when it comes to hosting it. There are very few countries that can host properly a World Cup team, a World Cup tournament.
1: Uh, Forty eight teams. Yeah, but you're under the impression it's going to be a country. It'll be a region. Absolutely, it's a a region. Yeah, Mm. AFC or ASEAN
2: or or absolutely. Well, It it opens football to everybody. FIFA have long
3: since uh, said that they don't like that. I mean, yeah. even, even the efficient uh, J- Japanese and South Koreans um, didn't get on very well, and FIFA said no more. That's just two countries, two very efficient countries next door to each other, and they didn't, they didn't get it done. So what more a region?
0: Well, the, ne- the, ne- the one after this one is going to be uh, Canada usa and mexico so that'll be fun um, but we almost must move on and we're going to have in a short while your malaysia football update and then we're going to be doing some listeners questions here on on the ball on bfm 89.9
2: it is a fine goal fine header, a fine goal. on the ball on bfm
0: 89.9 and we're back on on the ball and now it is time for your malaysia football update des corkhill des bin corkhill
2: <laughs> Thank you very much. Listen, we're, we're still out of season in Malaysia Football League, but we're, we're gearing up towards the, um, the new season. But uh, a new Malaysia national team boss has been brought in to the fray. He hasn't arrived in Malaysia yet, won't start his work until February. I think uh, that's when uh, Kim Pangon comes in. An interesting choice, foreign choice, as the new technical director, Scott O'Donnell, suggested it might, might be a good idea. Uh, I know Scott, and Scott has worked with um, uh, Kim Pangon, or not worked with him, but knows him from uh, coaching courses, um, speaks highly of him. Um, but it's all about time. It's all about um, will he be given the opportunity? Will he be given the say uh, to, to actually make, make changes? And will he be allowed to lose games in order to win games? I can bring young players in. Will he use national, nationalised players? because he famously used a lot of them when he was um, coaching Hong Kong. A lot of um, uh, players who, who did the five-year citizenship rule became Hong Kong citizens, played for Hong Kong when he was national team coach. So there's, there's many questions about it, but it's, a, it's, an, it's an interesting call. It's a foreign call. It's another Korean coach. Whether it's good for Malaysian football, I don't know. I hope so. I, I, I really hope so. But I always keep going back with Malaysian football to the lack of strength of depth in the league. Um, one of the comments I've got about the, the, the league is that um, there's, there's uh, two professional divisions. In those two professional divisions, you've got 12 teams and 10 teams. So that's 22 clubs. Of those 10 teams, one's an under-19 development squad, and three are reserve teams. So, <laughs> so you've only got uh, 16, 18 professional teams in a population of 30 million. Your M3 leagues, which is a semi-pro league, very good. They've decided no foreigners this year. Um, which I don't see how that helps because foreigners can and do provide better competition. Um, so so there's so many things uh, around Malaysian football which um, are, are, are really interesting. And I, I've always said, I say this about all the reasons, if you're not playing competitive football, you can't improve. You... Uh, and, and that, that to me is, is something that is way, way, way beyond uh, any TD, any professional and any um, national coach coming in. You've just got to have more strength and depth in your leagues. And um, um, I'll enjoy the leagues. Of course I will. I'll support the Malaysian teams in the AFC Cup and the AFC Champions League. I'll support the national team because um, I'm, I'm, I'm very close to it. But I just feel we we are hands behind our back every, every time. Not only in Malaysia, Many, many of the Asian countries,
0: and Malaysia is a football country, and uh,
2: absolutely, yeah. absolutely,
0: yeah. Well, I'm going to move on though. Uh, thanks. Oh, wait, for... wait, wait. I
1: was just going to ask for Des. Uh, what do you thought of uh, TMJ's interview there uh, yesterday? <laughs> 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 I'm sure all our listeners also want to know your views on that point.
2: Uh, I, I, can I, I'm sorry, I'm going to take the fifth on this. Can I just, <laughs> can I just take the fifth and sit, sit on the pen?
1: I was waiting all day for this man. Yeah. it's not actually in the
0: uh, on the ball constitution that that one is entitled to take the fifth, but exactly, uh, yeah,
1: Ross is I, probably shaking I, his head.
0: Yes, but on, no, no, on this occasion we're going to allow it um, because one has to. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm going to move on though. I want to go to uh, a brand new section in the show, which I'm going to call listeners' questions. Uh, over the years, uh, the uh, mailbag has been bulging with uh, letters from and the yes. listeners uh who diligently write letters It's quite remarkable and uh we've never really got a chance to answer them and i want to encourage listeners to send in questions to the um twitter and whatsapp which you can find on the interwebs and the uh question i want to start off with actually is uh, something which um is is a very common question and goglan i want to start with you because you play the football at the highest level um, <laughs> <laughs> every sunday and uh we des yeah, and and as as the youngest member of our middle-aged phalanx, the question being asked by Alvin is that apparently football existed before the Premier League, <laughs> and uh, I didn't know this myself, but I do believe, uh, Gogolin that you actually got into football before the Premier League. <laughs> oh yeah, and you've you know witnessed the transition. Uh, so uh, Alvin wants to know what was it like.
1: Ah. Uh. It was the magical days of big league soccer we used to get back in Malaysia. I think Bob and uh, Des weren't here yet. And that's what our exposure to football. And back then, we had to see Tony Molly and Gordon Shaw running down the flanks. And, you know, we had Ricky Villiers, Ozzy Ardiles illuminating our TVs with uh, Joe Corrigan in the Manchester City goal in that epic FA Cup final. So that's where my love of football started, was where I started was supporting Villa. As where my brother supported starting Spurs because we couldn't support the same team, obviously. And, uh, yeah, we went on became European champions. They went on to win the FA Cup that year. And uh, the rest is history. And, uh, of course, in that year, I got to see a diminutive uh, little player that stole my heart called Diego Armando Maradona.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, football was better then, is that what you're saying?
1: It was, it was. There was no, there were, I mean, I've seen how much money has been thrown into the game. And, you know, back then, the highlight of our uh, year was getting the semifinal, watching the live FA Cup semifinals, you know, at Villa Park. And you know, and I remember running up the steps. My tenants who live used to live in my house, running up the steps when uh, Coventry City scored against Spurs in I think I don't know what year that was eighty seven.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
1: yeah, So these are the memories, you know. And we always have looked forward. The FA Cup was our only live games we had, so it was always from the semi finals, the two semi finals, and then the final. And Gaza, you know, Gaza at those finals all those finals, you know, the big league song, I mean, the road to Wembley, uh, team song and then the tune towers, you know? And so when I went to Wembley to watch Villa, that final was a uh, magical, it wasn't the same Wembley, but it was, you know, it was still Wembley. Mm.
0: Well, I think Gaza, uh, uh, Bob, you, you're a bit of a tell because it was against, uh, Nottingham Forest. I think Gaza had 30 seconds of a FA cup final.
1: Yeah. but
3: He should have had even less. Uh, <laughs> he should have been sent off. And <laughs> if he, if he'd been sent off, um, he wouldn't have got it injured and uh we would have seen an even greater gaza
0: so uh, it's nottingham never... forest it's it's gary charles's shins fault is it <laughs> or his groin or whichever referee part of
3: it. referee's fault sadly um he didn't he's one of these refs who doesn't believe in sending people off in the early minutes of a of a game and we we've, we've seen that recently um uh, Liverpool game um, but uh, I to answer the question about was football better I would say for me football was better because my team was, was the European champions in those days twice before twice and Gog's uh, Gog's team was also European champions uh, before the Premier League existed so mm. um, we but what about the actual
0: way that it was played
3: no no it wasn't the, today's players are better I mean they are bigger, stronger, faster, fitter, uh, coached better. Tactics are more sophisticated. And I would have to say that today's players would beat the, um, the teams of the past. Um, but the, the teams of the past, uh, had they had this kind of treatment, then that, that would be a different story. But I mean, the Arsenal famously, I mean, the Tony Adams team—they used to go out and have 10, 15 pints a night uh, before the, even before the game. Um, I mean, it was the culture was completely different. And Arsene Wenger, um, the much maligned Arsene Wenger, um, was probably more responsible for changing this culture, certainly about nutrition and preparation, than uh, than anybody. Changed when he came along. So that that was a major sea change in. Uh, in football,
0: hmm. Des uh, actually on this show, gosh, oh God, ten years ago more. John Barnes was on, and I asked him the question: You know, how would his eighties Liverpool ha- fared against the the then two thousand ten uh, teams? And he was the first thing he said was uh, fitness and nutrition. It, he couldn't compare. Uh, so, do you? I mean, you have memories of back in the day, but do you do you think it's better now?
2: Uh, it's different. It's different. It's um, the, the game. The game is technically better. The pitches they play on are like billiard billiard tables, absolutely beautiful. Any deviation, any any bump in the pitch, and people are going, "Oh my gosh, that is dreadful!" Certainly, certainly at the very top flight. Um, uh, but the players, I, I think, would have adapted. That Barnes, Beardsley, Aldridge front three for Liverpool were, were absolutely superb. Um, the, the television coverage and the media coverage is outstanding at the moment. Not that the BBCs and ITVs and the, the, the Golden Generations that the guys over in Malaysia saw was bad, but it was literally four cameras, one of which was behind the goal and a single commentator. And we all remember the commentators um, because it was such a rare occasion, even for us. Uh, Barry Davis, John Motson, Brian Moore, Gerald Sinsat, etc. We all mourned when they died, um, in, in, as they have all over the last few years. So, so it was very different, and I was I as a fan. I used to love standing up, and I think the the modern game um, is too sanitized. It's good; it's improved facilities, absolutely improved. But it's improved where it where it used to cost me uh, five quid, literally, to go to the game, get into the game, um, uh, have a, have a good time, buy a program, and get home again. It's now costing my brother. I, I buy I I contribute to a season ticket at Anfield a thousand pounds for 18 games hmm. and that's before the program that's before anything else and so it's become a gentrified middle class sit down sit on your hands um, um e- experience and so it's a different experience far more expensive experience um less less available to young people certainly at the top flight uh, that's why there's a there's kind of growth of grassroots football and i i certainly um I, um support that massively, but also the money's paid I, 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 I will not stop mentioning this the obscenities of somebody earning £350,000 per week to play professional football when another team could use £350,000 to save the club, Accrington Stanley um, uh, your, your team's going out of business for that kind of money just that imbalance has it just blows my mind and it's wrong, it's morally wrong, morally reprehensible. But as a sport, it's it's really beautifully done and, and fabulous to watch.
0: Yeah. So so there you have it. Three old men um have decided that things were better in the past. Big shock there.
1: Different, different, <laughs>
2: right.
1: better, different. It was different. a level it was, like, it, it, was camera's land. it was a level playing field, let's put it this way.
0: It was a very muddy playing field, actually, back then. I I, I was watching a clip and it's like it was like they're going to war. Yeah,
1: but now nowadays you have Guardiola and Mourinho fighting about how, how long the glass, grass should be. That's where it's at yeah. now. Yeah.
0: Anyway, we must, we must bring it to an end, though. And so, uh, well, thank you. Thank you for joining us, everybody out there. And also, thank you to our pundits, uh, Gurglen. Thank you so much. Thank you again. And uh, Bob Holmes.
3: Thanks, everyone.
0: And who knows, Nottingham Forest could win the European Championship twice again.
2: <laughs> Champions League now, mate.
0: Champions League, it could happen. And uh, Des Corkill.
2: I would get rid of VAR. That is an abomination of the modern game.
0: Yeah, that was not a pre recorded uh, statement from Des Corkill that we just, we just are contractually obliged <laughs> yeah. to play every week. Uh, he, he said that spontaneously.
1: He's, he's, uh, he's contractually obliged by Geoff Hurst to play that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. We bring this to an end. And please join us next week for another exciting episode of On the Ball here on BFM 89.9.
2: And he's been absolutely brilliant.
0: On the ball on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.